probably should pray for Jonathan, that's for sure. Um, how many of you, before you go to the grocery store or to Home Depot or Lowe's or before you go Christmas shopping, how many of you are list makers? You make lists, okay? How many of you just kind of wing it, all right? That's funny. That's really funny. How many of you wing it again? Yeah, that's right. How many of you have like started your list of Christmas shopping? How many of you have finished? How many of you are done? We don't like you. How many of you haven't even started yet? Oh my gosh. All right. Well, there are advantages of lists. We're making lots of lists this time of year. We're not going to talk about the naughty or nice list. But anyway, there's lots of different lists. But there are some advantages. Look on the screen. I'm going to give you about five and see if you agree with these. Number one, um, lists bring order to chaos. Do you agree with that? Okay. Number two, lists help us remember things. Do you agree with that? If you can remember where you put the list, that's part of the problem. Number three, lists can be short or long. That's the advantage of that. Number four. They keep us from procrastinating. They can. They don't always, but they can, right? And number five, lists can relieve stress. My, my family makes fun of me because the only time I ever make a list is when I'm going fishing. <laughs> because you can't be out 16 miles and forget the bait or forget. You, you just can't do it. You just can't turn around and come back. But my family, they, they laugh at me. Um, when I go to Costco, Danita makes me this incredible map of the inside of Costco. And she has, she has me starting with step one, and she's got arrows, and she's got pictures. And she'll you know, go past the electronics. She'll have like a little picture of a TV and start with the chips. And she, she has a map of the entire—I don't know how she does this— all of Costco is in her mind, and she knows I'll mess the thing up because I'm there for people. If I find people, I forget why I'm there. I'm not there for product. It's really true. I, 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 I get lost in Costco from time to time. I thought, why, why am I here? So I've got this detailed list, and I've asked her next year if she can kind of step it up a little bit, maybe, maybe give me a map in color. True story, I was going to Publix a year ago, and again, she will text me or she will give me a handwritten list, and, and she said to me, this is a year ago, so we've been married 28 years at this point, and she said, now of all the things I need you to get, don't forget this. You can, you can leave everything else off. I've got to have this. Honey, I got it. I, I got it, babe. No, no worries. So I get there, and it's some thing at the deli that I've never heard of before, and I can't find it. So I asked the deli manager, her name's Marcy, and Marcy said, we don't carry that anymore. I said, can you make a note for me? <laughs> and Marcy signed the note. So every time I see Marcy, she'll say, are you still married? I said, hanging on by a thread, just, 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 just barely. Um, I... A lot of us do well with lists. And, and what's funny about lists is if you study world religions, you will notice that every faith has lists. 
There's lists of beliefs, there's lists of behaviors, there's lists of doctrines. And if you look at every one of these different groups, there are lists as to how you can get saved or be saved or whatever salvation is to that particular group. I just want to give you four different examples, and these are, these are not Christian groups, these are outside of Christianity, but, but everybody has lists. Let's look at the very first one. First one is Christian science. In Christian science, they have all the, if you ever study it, they have all these lists of correct thinking. It's a lot about it. It's, it's mental. Um, Islam, Muslims, they have lists too. They have lists of works that are defined by Allah. Um, the next one would be Jehovah Witness. Just list after list after list of commandments of how you get saved or how you, you, you get into that right relationship with God. And then the Mormons, the last one uh, that I just wanted to list, they have lists of necessary good works. Now, I bet, well, first of all, if you are not raised in a Christian home, the next two or three minutes is going to make no sense to you. But I bet those of you that were raised in a Christian home, I, I bet there was a list there was a list, maybe not written down, maybe it was an unwritten list, but everybody understood there were lists of what it meant to be right with God or to get right with God. Now, these lists might be in the Bible. They might not be in the Bible. They might take portions of the Bible. They might be cutting and pasting things of the Bible. But I bet if you were raised in a Christian home, your family or your extended family, or your church family, there, there was some type of a list as to what it looked like to be right or to stay right, to stay right with God. Maybe it had something to do with attendance. There was like an attendance list. And, and you know, you didn't just go Christmas and Easter. You were like good people and good Christians. And so, and, and, and you're, it was three times a month. And if you really wanted to be a great Christian, you would not just go on Sunday mornings, you would go on Sunday, Sunday nights. Do you remember that? Now, if you wanted to be like the fourth member of the Trinity, you would go on Wednesday nights. Those were like the people that went straight to heaven. They, they, they went on Wednesday nights. Maybe, maybe there was an alcohol list in your family. Maybe it was okay. Maybe it was not okay. Maybe there was like no alcohol, maybe a little bit of alcohol. In a lot of homes or churches, there was an alcohol list. Maybe there was an attire list. Maybe it was what you wore. Uh, when Danita and Mary Ann Babcock and Mary Alger and some of these women go with us to Nicaragua on pastor's conferences, they have to wear dresses. If they wear pants or if they wear um, like shorts or whatever, that, that culture thinks that our women are being disrespectful. So our women go there and they'll wear, wear dresses. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a church environment where you had to wear something, something very specific. Perhaps it was even a, a translation or a version of the Bible. I never will forget I was 20 years old, been in Bible college for a year and a half, had all the answers, knew all about the Bible, you know. And so I get my first preaching experience at this place called Crab Orchard, Tennessee. Anybody ever heard of Crab Orchard, Tennessee? No, you haven't. Of course not. Uh, three people. Anybody? You've heard of it. You have heard of it. 
It's a little limestone community there, about an hour and a half outside of Knoxville. And so I go and I preach my first, it's a terrible, the grid church, 50 people there, the sermon was awful. I've thrown away all those sermons, by the way. I should have paid those people to hear me and give me some practice. They were terrible. But anyway, at the end of the service, this 80-year-old woman, she was the matriarch of this small church. Definitely she was the queen. And she comes up to me and she said, young man, Next time you preach at our church, I expect you to use the King James translation of the Bible. Now, I'm 20 years old. I I know everything there is about the Bible. I begin to tell her (laughs) that when the King James translation was translated in 1611 by the good king, there were only two 10th century manuscripts called Codex Vaticanus and Codex Synacticus. And today we have over 25,000 different manuscripts that archaeologists have unearthed. She stopped me. She said, young man, I I don't know about your codes. (laughs) But at this church, we use the King James translation of the Bible. (laughs) I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I was 20, wasn't real smart, but I figured out if I was ever going to preach there again, I was going to use the King James translation. There's a list that you've grown up with, maybe masses, maybe certain prayers, maybe certain whatever, and, and, and we have these lists. Now, today, I bet many of us have thought about a list of what does it mean to get right with God and what does it mean to stay right with God. And I bet our lists wouldn't all agree. I bet in this room, if we all had a sheet of paper and we said, okay, what does it mean to get right with God. How do you get right with God? And is there a difference between getting right with God and staying right with God? I bet we would be like all over the place. Well, that's our problem today in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there was a great problem because a group of people were trying to add to the list. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. This is okay. This isn't enough. And the apostles, then the whole church is like majorly stirred up. Before we look at Acts 15, I just want to show you three quick pictures that I think are funny. Here's the first one is, maybe some of your to-do lists are like this, okay? That's not really good at Christmas time. The next one is, my to-do list is wake up survive, back to sleep. Now, what's funny is that's not first service. All the people in first service are like happy to be here at eight o'clock in the morning. It's kind of sickening. They're all morning people. They're like pumped at eight o'clock in the morning. And this last one's about the caveman, about his bucket list. He wants to stay warm, stay fed, and not get eaten. Don't get eaten. That's his goal. All right. Acts chapter 15. Here's the problem. Verse one. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, this is 15 years into the church. Jerusalem is no longer the center, the capital of the Christian church. The epicenter now of the church is now in Antioch, which is really interesting. They were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be what? Saved. Now, saved is the key word here. So here's a group of guys, and they're saying, all right, Jesus is cool, Jesus is great, but let's just bottom line this, we're going to add to the list. Unless you males are circumcised, real bummer for the males, and unless you keep the law of Moses, you cannot have access to your heavenly father. Now, the church is now 15 years old, 
And for 15 years, you got the apostles going around teaching everybody, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus saves you. Jesus gives you eternal life. Jesus cleanses you. Now you got a group of people going, Jesus is cool, but he's not enough. Here's the problem. Keep going. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp, I like that word, sharp dispute and debate. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very, very glad. I'm going to explain this in just a minute. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done. Now, here's a map. And this map shows us Paul's first missionary journey. And what Paul did is Paul leaves Jerusalem and he goes all throughout this area. You see Turkey up there to the north. You see Israel down there to the south, Judea. We're very familiar with the Mediterranean Sea. And what happens is in all these different cities, and there's a whole bunch of other cities I, I, didn't, I couldn't list because you couldn't see them, but they started churches. They started now Gentile churches. And, you know, about 99% of, of the world are Gentiles because there's very few Jewish people. So if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And most of us in this room are Gentiles. And so Paul has this missionary journey, and he starts all these different churches all, all over this area. And, and the Gentiles are becoming Christians left and right. The Gentiles are going, man. I can come to God through this guy named Jesus. This is great. This is awesome. And they do. They become Christians left and right. And so this is kind of the area. Antioch is like right now the epicenter of all this. And Phoenicia and Samaria, these are places where all these churches got started. If you're a history buff, you love this. If you didn't like geography, say go on to the next verse, right? All right, let's go to the next verse. So verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Now push pause right here. Because there were Pharisees who were Christians. There were Pharisees who wanted still to follow Judaism and to follow circumcision, the laws of Moses. But there were Pharisees originally who had become Christians. But they couldn't let go of the list. They couldn't drop it. They were so steeped in their tradition, just like maybe some of us are. It's kind of funny. We were at a wedding last night, and we invited some people to, to church, and their mother was there at, to Christmas Eve, and, and the mother said, look, if you go to any church, you're going to our Lutheran church. It's just really funny. Her kids weren't going to church, but if they did go to church, they had to go to the Lutheran church, and, and it was better for them not to go to church at all than to come to Harborside. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I, I didn't slap her. I just let it go. I just, look, she's an older woman, and I, I wanted to respect her. So we got a problem here. And some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles, Jesus is not enough. They've got to follow Mo, and they've got to be circumcised. Look at the next verse. The apostles and the elders met to discuss this question. Next verse. After much discussion, Peter got up. Now, what Peter's getting ready to do is Peter's going to say, look, I I was pretty racist. 
I struggled with this, but God showed me that I could not be this narrow-minded. So here's Peter giving his speech. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among the the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel. That was last Sunday with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? This is really kind of funny, because what Peter is saying to this party of people, he's saying, look, we didn't keep the law. You didn't keep the law. Why are we trying to make the Gentiles keep the law? You see, every good Jewish honest man and woman realized we couldn't keep the 10. We didn't keep the 613 commandments. So why in the world would we put this burden on these Gentiles who don't even follow our law anyway? Here's the answer. Here's the list. No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. I want to read that verse one more time. No, we believe it is through the grace. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. That's what's on the list. Just a couple more verses, and I want to tie this together. Look at verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. Verse 13. When they finished, James. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. You got the four big dogs right here. You got Peter, you got Paul, you got Barnabas, and you got the half-brother of Jesus. You got James. Listen to me, James said. Simon, which is who? Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from among the Gentiles. Look at the next verse, the next part of that. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, this is where we get confused. Because we've got enough Bible, and we've heard enough Bible, and we've heard enough stories, and we've listened to enough scriptures on the radio and we've heard our grandparents around the Thanksgiving table tell us, we got just enough Bible to know that there's a whole bunch of these stories. And there's a lot of lists, but we're not quite sure where to put the lists. And we're not quite sure where chronologically the lists fit in our life. And so what we begin to do is we confuse these and say, okay, is there a list to get right with God? There is. Is there a list to stay right with God? There is. Are they the same list? They're not. They're not at all the same list. And so this is where all this conundrum begins to take place in our life because we go, all right, all right, all right. I remember somewhere that the Bible said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy Moses, I've only got two of those. I can't, I, I'm, I'm over seven. I'm, I'm two out of nine right now. What am I going to do? Am I, am I, did I get right with God? And we remember these, you know, scriptures about marriage, about honor one another and 
love one another, love your wife, Christ loved the church, and you're going, gosh, I don't love my wife. I divorced her. I didn't even like my wife. So what, what do I do with this? And, and you begin to think about, you know, honor your mother and your father and parents, you know, don't exasperate your kids. Gosh, I exasperate them, you know, every week. What, what am, am I, how do I do this? Am, am I staying, staying right with God? And so we begin to look at all the things that Scripture says to us, And I think what happens then is, is we combine these two lists and they're two different lists. Now, there's a list on on getting right with God. The other part of the equation, though, is staying right with God. And the staying right with God is usually what Paul does to the Romans and Paul's letter to the Galatians and Paul's letter to the the church of Ephesus. And, And staying right with God is all those other lists about Pray without ceasing. Okay, okay, guys, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Um, do not let any unwholesome word come out of my mouth. Well, man, it's only nine o'clock on Monday. I already, I've already blown that one. And and so, and, and you just you you go through all this and you're going, am I a Christian at all? How, how how is this working for me? And 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 it's real easy to confuse these two lists. Now over here, on staying right with God. Can you, can you get right with God and not stay right with God? Absolutely. People do it all the time. Can, can you become a Christian and have the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your past, present, and future sins, and then over here struggle with anger, struggle with jealousy? Uh-huh. Yes. It happens all the time. In fact, it's pretty normal that that's where you and I live. Now, let me just make a commercial for this side because I want to talk about this side today. Why do you want to stay right with God? Why, why would you want to do that? Well, you want to honor him, for one thing. But second of all, it, it gives you a platform. When you stay right with God and you grow in your relationship with God, it gives you a platform to use your testimony then to the world. The third issue is pretty self-centered, but the third issue is when I get right with God and I stay right with God, is my life better And everybody in the room has to make this decision. Everybody in the room has to somehow come up with a decision. If I choose to give my whole life to Christ and and get saved, and if I choose to live all of my life for him, which is called being sanctified, will my life be better off? And everybody in the room has got to figure that out. And everybody has to make a decision on whether or not following God is going to be really good for me are following all the things that God says for me, God's withholding something good for me, and I can't help you with that decision. I can lead you to water, but you gotta, you gotta drink it yourself. You gotta make up your own mind whether or not following God is gonna be really great for you, or following God is like, gosh, I'm not gonna get to experience this, and gosh, this is gonna be left out, and I, I can't help you with that. Everybody in the room has to make that decision on their own. But in this passage of Scripture today, there's a group of people trying to mess up the church, and they're trying to add to the list on what it means to to get right with God. How do I get, how do I become saved? How do my sins become forgiven? How do I become cleansed? See, again, here's the problem. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, here's the problem. Certain people came down, and they said this, you got to be circumcised, you got to follow Moses. Verse 5, here's the problem again. 
the party, some of, some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and they must be required to keep the law of Moses. The four big guys, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and thank you, I forgot James. James, he's a big guy. The four, the four big guys, they said, no, here's the answer. Look at, verse, look at this verse. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. So what is this gospel? Let's just talk about getting right with God. Because I want everybody to walk out of this room with the same list. There is only one list. You can't add to it and you can't delete. You can't subtract. It's one list. So what is that list? Now, and also, why is that important? Well, I think it's terribly important because there's a whole lot of people that in your family, there's people in your school, there are people in your neighborhoods, in your work environments, they don't understand the gospel. They've heard this stuff in these Bible stories and they've, they've added to it. What is the gospel? How do you and how do I get right with God? Staying right with God, another series, another sermon, another day. How do we get right with God? Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. He's, he's, he is the man. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Paul says what the gospel is in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, Paul says, I just want to remind you the gospel I preached to you, and you received it, and you took your stand, and by this gospel you are, what's he say? You're saved if you hold firmly the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you is the first importance that Christ, here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So in your bulletin, there are six lines that I want to give you about the gospel. I want you to take this home. There are fill-ins in your bulletin. And this to the best of my ability, encapsules the entire gospel, doesn't add to it, doesn't take away from it. So here's the gospel, number one. Number one, everyone is incapable. Incapable of saving themselves because of sin. Do you see how different that is from every other faith? Christianity is the only faith that says this. Every other faith says that you can do this whole list of things, and by doing this list of things, you can save yourself. Just think about this. Every other group has you doing this and doing this, and and if you do this, and when you do this, and because you do this, every other faith has a whole list of stuff. Christianity says you're doomed. You can't save yourself. And even the Jews tried to save themselves through the law. They couldn't keep the law. But there was one who didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And that one fulfilled the law, and he went to a cross, and he died on Calvary for you. Number two, salvation has been provided by that one. He's provided it. It's a gift. It's called grace. He's offering to give you something that you could never earn on your own. And that's hard for us Americans because we like to be mavericks and we like to earn it and we like to do it and we like to move. But this is, what, this, is, this is what grace is. 
Grace is a gift. So salvation has been provided by Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Number three, he died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He died for you. He took your place. It's a substitutionary death. Number four, he was raised from the dead as the first of many who will be raised. Now, this is why we can be okay. We're sad when grandma and grandpa die, but grandma and grandpa were Christians. And we've not lost grandma and grandpa. We've just lost contact with grandma and grandpa for a season. This is why when we lose our brothers and our sisters and our coworkers and our friends, this is why if they're believers, we have incredible hope because Jesus was raised from the dead as the first fruits of many who will be raised. That's an incredible promise. Number five, here's three things that, that we need to move into. Number one, you believe in him, you admit your need, and you trust him to pay for your sins. That's the gospel. You believe in him, you admit your need for Christ, and you trust him to pay for your sins. And guess what? He will. He can't wait. And, and, and I, I haven't had this conversation one time. I've had it 5,000 times in 33 years. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know how sinful I've been. You don't know, I, 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 I probably do. I probably do. I, you start your story, I can probably finish your story. I've had a front row seat to these stories for 33 years. I know the power of his blood. I know the power of the cross. It can take, it took all the sins of the world collectively and washed them away. They've already been washed away. What you and I have to do is believe and admit and put our trust in, in him. And then this last one is really about the other list. It's getting the power to stay right with God. The last one is his resurrection is the promise for the power of God to work in your life. It's the promise. And when his spirit comes into you, when you've admitted and trusted and believed in him, he then begins to work on this other list, another sermon, another series, another day. This is about getting right with God. So it's usually at this point in a message where a preacher gets just a little bit cheesy. I don't know a better word, I'm sorry. And, and, and the preacher, you know, at this point, will start talking about, you know, you're going to die and you don't know. You could go out of here on, you know, McMullen Booth Road and get killed. And that's all true. I mean, it, it, even though it's cheesy, it, it, it's true. You don't know. So I, I don't want to try to play that trick and that card on you because you might cite someone like Nelson Mandela and say, well, look, Nelson Mandela lived a long life. That's kind of how I want to check out. Maybe not spend 27 years in prison, but you'd, you, you lived to be 95 years old. I'll tell you, nobody expected the hero of Fast and Furious this past week, Paul Walker, to be blown up and burn up in a car. Of all people who've been filmed in car scenes, he's 40 years old. Nobody saw that coming. Monday night about 10 o'clock, 
my phone was just blowing up and everybody was in town. It was my birthday. And, and so all five of us went and got a Christmas tree and, and we do the lights and, and it was fun. About 10 o'clock, Emily noticed my phone just about to explode off the counter. I turned the ringer off because if I don't, we'll never have any family time. And so I said, well, listen to it. So she listens to it. And it's the lieutenant out in our area. There's like 30,000 homes for the East Lake Fire Department. And, and it was a lieutenant from the fire department. And he said, um, we, we got a real problem. Can you come help us? And a 51-year-old guy had been working out at home and um, had a heart attack and died. And they said, we need some help. Left behind a wife of 24 years, 21-year-old son, 17-year-old son, 10-year-old son. And so, you know, I'm there in the hospital to maybe 11.30-ish Monday night just trying to do what we can do just to, just to help people. But the answer is you don't know. You really don't know how many days you have. You don't know. And, and, and so this is what I want for you. I, I love you. I am your pastor. I am your shepherd. I want you to be able to live forever. I want your, God wants you to be able to live forever. God wants your sins to be forgiven. God wants you to experience eternal life. God wants you to put your hope and trust in him so he can take the burden of your sins away. I just want us to be clear. We're not going to add to the list. We're not going to take away from the list. The list is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The answer is the Messiah. The answer is the Christ. The answer is the Son of God. Now, the reason I'm so sold on this is that anybody who can like predict their own death and predict their own resurrection, I'm going to pay attention to that. And that's what he did. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he will do exactly what he needs to do in your life and in my life. And so this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the moment. I'm not going to be cheesy. I'm not going to manipulate you. This is your moment. This is your moment to accept Jesus as your Savior. And for those of us in the room that we are Christians, this is our moment as well to really think through how our job is to help other people understand the gospel. And our job is to invite and encourage and not to be obnoxious, but just just to come around people and just encourage them. Christmas Eve's coming up. It's a prime time. Leverage to help people to want to come and and experience and be exposed to to Jesus, the great Nazarene. So I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down and be in place. And this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to challenge you today. I want to encourage you today to come down and just tell one of these wonderful people, today's my day. Today's my day. I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. And maybe in addition to that, maybe some others of us in the room, we've been Christians for a long time. We got some family members that we're really concerned about. We got some coworkers that we've been trying to share the gospel and reach for years. Come down and let them pray with you. Tell them the names of your family members. Tell them the names of your coworkers. And pray. 
that the Lord will open up a door, the door will be open for you to invite and to love and to share. Max Lucado said it best, this whole gospel thing, it's too good to be true, but it's too great to pass up. And I want to encourage you today to take a step of faith and give your life to Jesus. You are the King, you are the eternal, immortal, invisible Lord, and we worship you today. We are eternally grateful for what you're doing and what you've done. Now I pray for my friends in this room that they will surrender to you. If there's any man or woman or young man or young woman in this room, or older man or older woman in this room that's never given their life to you. There's nothing more important than you cleansing them from all unrighteousness. So we ask you to work 